This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales, because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas. And I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making the truth journey possible. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to both segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And tonight's interview is also available in high-quality video inside the Veritas TV section of our website. When you subscribe, you are essentially upgrading your mind. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material, and everything else we have to offer. I wanted to let you know that I had a great time at the 2013 International UFO Congress in Arizona. I have started to add some short video interviews so you can watch inside the Veritas TV section of our website. I had the opportunity to meet dear old and new friends, and I wish I have had more time to interact with all of you. Thanks for your friendship and Veritas support. It is really appreciated, and I hope you made it all back home safely. Thanks for the information shared with me, for the laughters, and for all your messages of hope to the world. It is unfortunate that some of this information cannot become public due to safety concerns 
But slowly, maybe a different story. You know what I'm referring to. I don't mean to be cryptic, but it is a privilege to do what I do and become exposed to information that one day, one day, will truly transform the planet as we know it, for the better of all living beings. Just know that you have a partner here, and unfortunately, this is something you will not get in the six o'clock news. In the next few weeks, we have another full interview with another favorite researcher, Richard Dolan. In addition, I have a bonus interview with an alleged hybrid young female that I have no doubt you will enjoy. So stay tuned and visit the upcoming show section. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower. There's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Oh, one last comment. I had no idea, well, actually, I did have some idea that the Chris Bledsoe story was going to have an impact on people, but I had no idea it would be such a big impact to so many people who are writing to me, including respected and admired researcher from Europe, Susan Joy Renison. Some of you know that I've been in contact with uh, Ms. Renison for the past few weeks. And one of our listeners actually compelled her to listen to the Chris Bledsoe story because apparently some of the information discussed by Chris correlates to Ms. Renison's work. And she actually took some of her valuable time to listen to the entire interview. And she posted a wonderful piece on her blog. And I want to thank her for that. So if you haven't listened to the Chris Bledsoe story, I highly recommend that you do. I get asked all the time, Mel, which of the UFO ET topic shows would you recommend that I play for somebody who's skeptical about it and somebody that that we should wake up about this? And I think the Chris Bledsoe story is the example of a story. Here we have a businessman father, husband, deacon of his church, you name it, salt of the earth, who goes through an incredible experience of sighting, abduction, multiple witnesses. So listen to it if you haven't. Tonight's special guest is another veteran of this show, and is none other than researcher and author Grant Cameron, who was awarded Researcher of the Year at the Open Minds International UFO Congress Conference, a well-deserved award. This interview is also available on video inside the Veritas TV section of our website. For those of you who know Grant, you know he has been involved in researching the U.S. president connection with UFOs and has filed hundreds of Freedom of Information Act requests. But things are changing, not only for Grant, but for other researchers. I have noticed that, and many have also noticed it. You may remember my interviews with Colin Andrews, the father of the term crop circles. The first one dealt with crop circles, his area of expertise. The second interview dealt with crop circles and consciousness. Apparently, Colin had gone through some kind of transformation, and he actually shared information that he had never shared before. If you haven't listened to my first interview with Grant Cameron in 2009, also just like Collins, I highly suggest that you do. It is the essence 
of his work through the years. And Grant has also found the consciousness connection. Take the Phoenix Lights event from 1997 as an example. After all the research that has been done, what have you really found? What have we really learned? We see thousands of pictures of UFOs all the time. But if we really need to learn beyond that, consciousness is the key. You may remember Ben Rich, Lockheed former director of Skunk Works, when he said, quote, we now have the technology to take E.T. home, unquote. In that conference, apparently some people came to him afterwards and asked him what he meant. And Ben Rich's response was, what do you know about ESP? These craft manipulate time and space. That's how they get here. Therefore, unless we start looking at the UFO and ET phenomenon with a different set of eyes or mind, we won't get to it. Perhaps this is why you never hear this mentioned in the mainstream media. And any UFO shows, TV shows, you see, will keep you going around in circles. Metaphorically speaking, they may discuss the pyramid as it relates to the UFO topic, but they will never talk about the capstone. And tonight, we'll discuss this and much more with Grant Cameron, right now on Veritas. Curiosity is not sufficient need to know. So it, it appears that um, the president is given a core story. I'm not sure how much that it involves. And like every other issue, they know anything that's classified, don't touch it, leave it alone. There's other people working on it. If something happens, if something breaks out, UFO crash they can't cover up, then they got to bring him in, then he needs to know. You need to know what's happened here, you need to know what's actually going on so you can answer the questions, and then they tell him how to answer the questions. Grant Cameron has been answering these questions for over 30 years. His work helps connect the dots that link our nation's leaders with our country's ufological timeline. His interest in the topic began in May of 1975. It was in Carmen, Manitoba, about 25 miles north of the U.S.-Canada border, where he was a personal witness to what became known locally as the Charlie Red Star sightings. Over the following 18 months, Cameron experienced many additional sightings, which he continued to photograph, along with interviewing hundreds of witnesses who were involved. More recently, Cameron's research interests have turned to the involvement and actions of the various United States presidents and the UFO phenomenon. His websites, presidentialufo.com and hillaryclintonufo.net, both explore past leaders' involvement with the UFO phenomenon. Cameron filed the Freedom of Information Act, which led to the discovery that Hillary Clinton had in fact received a book on extraterrestrial life from Lawrence Rockefeller and witnesses have maintained that UFOs were likely discussed at that meeting. One of my Freedom of Information Act requests was for all photographs um, taken of Hillary at the ranch and all the Hill photographs taken of Bill at the ranch because they, they catalog everything. So they had about maybe, I can't remember, it was 35 or 40 photographs of Hillary and you're basically just looking at little tiny images and you're trying to order. So I ordered about three images of her being greeted by Rockefeller, them walking down a trail at the ranch, and then one coming across a bridge. So when it came out, we noticed that Hillary was carrying a book. 
And this went on for about two years. I put it out across the UFO community and I said, can someone tell me what book she's carrying? Because there's no doubt she would have just been, in, in the first photograph she doesn't have the book, and suddenly she's carrying this book. So Rockefeller gave her the book. You can take the part of the book you can see with Hillary and the other, uh, the actual book, you can see it was a book written by Paul Davies about the psychological implications of extraterrestrial intelligence uh, interacting with Earth. What we have is a high-level CIA person who basically has been in the CIA for 35 years and is now on a contract to the CIA for seven years was the second most powerful person inside the CIA to speak publicly on behalf of the CIA. And to me, it was just unforgivable that he could come out and basically say that Roswell was real and the proof was there and that no one, no one would pick up on the story and do it. Last year on June 23rd, in an interview on Coast to Coast AM, former CIA official Chase Brandon claimed that, quote, there was a craft from beyond this world that crashed at Roswell. End quote. Brandon claimed that while he was working for the CIA, he entered a vaulted room with restricted access at CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia, called the Historical Intelligence Collection. Brandon stated that he had found a box that had the word Roswell on it. He told Lee Spiegel of the Huffington Post that, quote, I took the box down, lifted up the lid, rummaged around inside it, put the box back on the shelf and said, my God, it really did happen. The story dominated the internet for a few days and Cameron immediately began to research its veracity. He produced several thorough reports and interview notes regarding the intricacies of the case. His measure of healthy skepticism provided alternative views to the situation, particularly about the contents of the box that Brandon mentions. Cameron writes that the materials would be, quote, compartmentalized on a need-to-know basis. The photos with the photo people, metal with the metallurgists, and so on. Each person working on the crash will only be given access to what he or she needs to do their job. At no time will you have all the material in a Roswell box where numerous people can see what everyone else is doing. That this was planned and it was part of a, what I think is a uh, disclosure situation where the core story of what's going on is being leaked to the public. Also this year, Cameron reported on an interview with Russian Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev, who was asked by Russians RENTV. Совершенно секретно. И она целиком и полностью посвящена пришельцам, которые посетили нашу планету. Одновременно предоставляется доклад абсолютно закрытой спецслужбы, которая занимается контролем пришельцев на территории нашей страны. Значит, две эти папки передаются вместе с ядерным чемоданом. После прекращения полномочий, соответственно, эти папки передаются новому президенту. Более подробную информацию на эту тему вы можете получить, посмотрев известный хроникально-документальный фильм «Люди в черном». Вышло несколько версий. Сколько их среди нас? Сколько их среди нас, рассказывать не буду, потому что это может вызвать панику. The film Medvedev referenced is a Russian UFO documentary produced by REN-TV 
the same network that conducted the interview. His quote triggered Cameron to create a comprehensive timeline of updates along with noted people involved, like UFO researcher Bruce McAfee, who reported that, I was interviewed back in November by a person working for RENTV and doing a documentary on UFOs. This report helped lend more credence to Medvedev's statement and place the quote in better context. Cameron also tracked down and posted extended interview cuts, along with a more thorough analysis of the translation. I think it had more to do with the network, uh, but Medvedev just basically said it. I don't think he was joking, but you really can't prove it until you get more on the story. So we, we ran it as far as we could, and uh, now we'll see whether this thing appears in this new documentary, being UFO documentary being done by the network that asked the question. Currently, Cameron is working on writing several monographs, including one that looks at a possible disclosure pattern to explain the many actions of the U.S. government relating to UFOs. He is also sorting through almost 100 Freedom of Information requests directed at the Clinton Presidential Library concerning UFO-related actions and policies inside the Clinton administration. Grant Cameron's work continues to be an invaluable element in the construction of our country's ufological timeline. His more than 25 trips to the National Archives, along with his diligent analysis, represent a dedication that resonates through his work. His research, writing, and lectures have opened the doors and shed light on many of the enigmas that otherwise may have lain dormant. I now look back and think that maybe the sighting I had in 1975 wasn't accidental that I was meant to be there, I was meant to do this. I believe that, but also to me, every, everything in life is sort of a game. And uh, I look at life as you're given certain things that you're supposed to do, and you do them the best you can. The idea that knowledge is not used is sin. And to me, it's a game, and I intend to try to win the game. So I play it as hard as I can. The same as I, my son was a very good hockey player, I encouraged him to go out there and do the best you can, use your talent, and I believe it's the same here, that to me, I, I just couldn't sit still. I have to say what I know. I have to push uh, whenever I think there's an answer there and get it out to whoever, to whoever is listening. But it's a drive, it's a game to me, but it's something that started back in 1975 because my friends just went on with their life and I didn't. I just basically, when I had my sighting, just basically fell off the end of the earth and I've been chasing this thing ever since. This is why the 2013 International UFO Congress is awarding Grant Cameron as our Researcher of the Year. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mel Fabregas with Veritas Radio, and I have the honor to be here once again with my friend Grant Cameron, my favorite researcher from Canada. And before I introduce Cameron again, I have to tell you that I saw his presentation yesterday and it was fantastic. So I hope that during the next two hours, during this full Veritas show, he can summarize what he discussed yesterday. But first of all, welcome, Grant. Great to see you again. Well, Mel, thanks for having me on again and showing interest in what I'm doing. Absolutely. Grant, I have to tell you right from the beginning, I have seen a few researchers, all of them, my respect. Let's let's take Colleen Andrews for it as an example, the father of the term crop circle, crop circles. A few years ago, I interviewed him, and then I interviewed him again the, the week, the, the the year after. And it seems that you are all embracing something new, the topic of consciousness. 
why and why do you think this is happening? I think there's a movement. Uh, I like Colin Andrews. Colin Andrews uh, moved to the idea of consciousness. Uh, I was almost teleported. Mine happened, I can tell you exactly which lecture. It was a Colin Andrews lecture last February. Uh, I made the movement and once I made the movement over and realized that consciousness was an extremely important part of the UFO phenomena, I started to do a little bit of research and suddenly found out that I was way behind. It's almost like I'd been asleep for a couple of decades that a lot of people had already figured this out. And so I'm just basically playing catch up with a lot of people in ufology who understand this important concept of consciousness and how it relates to the UFO phenomena and how it actually might give us a lot of the answers that we've been looking for for 65 years. It seems that for decades, people, witnesses, they look up at the sky, they see UFOs, they take a picture, but that's the extent of what we can gather. How are we ever going to learn of the true story unless we dive into this topic? Yeah, that's, that is an example I brought up in my lecture yesterday, is that uh, there's been a lot of complaint about we are not getting anywhere, the government should do another study, and basically when you come right down to it and you look seriously, you find out that um, sightings really don't get you anywhere. And the, the primary example I showed yesterday was the Phoenix Lights, that thousands of people saw it. There's been 16 years of research on the Phoenix Lights, and if you yet if you look at the analysis and the conclusion that comes, everybody basically says this was an unusual, magnificent phenomena, but nobody has any idea of what it really was. It's just an unknown. And the same, I, I brought an example of the O'Hare case, that a big uh, bunch of UFO people researched this case. They had the best minds in ufology over this uh, UFO that was over O'Hare Airport a number of years ago. They produced a 152-page report, and basically what they came to the conclusion was that it was unknown. They really didn't know what it was. And so we can do this ad nauseum. We can, like Blue Book had 12,000 sightings. They came up with 701 unknowns, which is James Fox's next movie called The 701 Unknowns. But basically, we could run another study, spend another $50 million on uh, UFO research on going through sightings and we're going to come to the same conclusion, 701 unknowns and when you ask whoever's doing the study, what's your conclusion, What what is this phenomena, they're going to say, we don't know, it's unknown. And that's when, when I came to the consciousness thing, when I had this sort of revelation uh, based upon what Colin Andrews was saying, it suddenly occurred to me that this is where the answers were. Suddenly a lot of stuff that I had, I've been in this since 1975, so we're talking like 37, 38 years I've been in this, and suddenly a lot of the stuff that had happened to me over the last 37 years suddenly made sense. Things that people had said, and I went, oh, this is what it's all about, and suddenly realized that consciousness is a road that we can take that will actually give us answers that will explain who's, Who's behind the UFO phenomena? What are they doing here? And uh, where are they from? And th those kind of answers you can't answer with a photograph. You can't answer with a UFO sighting. You can only answer if you get into those crafts, whatever they are, or talk to the people that are driving them around. You, you had that sighting in 1975, I believe, right? Yes, yes. And as a researcher, as a nuts and bolts man that you were, 
This is something that probably you kept in the back of your mind, but you never really wanted to discuss more to it. What was that trigger that made you now all of a sudden start embracing, start embracing a, a consciousness? Well, it basically goes back to the Colin Andrews lecture. It was done here in uh, Phoenix last uh, February. And the only reason I actually went to the lecture, and this has happened, I've had a couple of these sort of uh, moments at Congress. One happened about 10 years ago when I saw Dr. Michael Newton lecture. This time it was Colin Andrews. And the only reason I was going to the lecture is I'd never heard Colin Andrews lecture. I knew he was the world authority on crop circles. He had been very prominent during the early years of crop circles had done a lot of the interviews worldwide. And so I basically wanted to go see what he was going to talk about. I really didn't realize he was going to talk about consciousness. And basically his contention was, uh, and I remember when he did this initial study, he did a study, he was financed by uh, Lawrence Rockefeller in the late 1990s to find out how many of the crop circles are legitimate and how many are being hoaxed. And he came to the conclusion that only 20% of them were actually legitimate crop circles that might be created by some alien intelligence and that 80% of them were hoaxed, at which point I remember it was in the UFO community, it was like, this guy is working for the government, he's been had, he's been compromised, and he basically lost his UFO credentials. Nobody would basically talk to him. He was ostracized by the UFO community. And then when he was giving this lecture, I figured it was going to be the same sort of lecture, so I went to watch the lecture. And he came up with this new proposal that 80% are hoaxed, yes, 20% are real, but that the 80% of hoax crop circles are also being done by the aliens, that the aliens are actually controlling the people who are doing the, the hoaxing the crop circles. And he pre presented some evidence that seemed to sort of back up his case that there, that there wasn't uh, an argument that could be made. When he said this, the fact that uh, um, the consciousness was an important part, that the aliens were sort of controlling this whole thing, there was uh, three particular events in, in my UFO history that suddenly popped into my head that suddenly made sense. And as I described in the lecture, the first one was there's a top secret memo. When I had my sightings in 1975, when it didn't really provide me any answers as to what I had seen, I went after the Canadian government to find out what the Canadian government knew about UFOs. And when during that investigation, I came across what is probably one of the only legitimate top secret documents dealing with UFOs. That is a top secret document in which Wilbur Smith, who was running the Canadian government UFO program known as Project Magnet, went to the United States and he was talking to officials, top officials in the United States through the Canadian embassy, through a military liaison at the Canadian embassy in Washington. What he was told was what we know in the UFO phenomenon, we've talked about for a number of years, Flying saucers are real. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States. There's a small group headed by Dr. Vannevar Bush who's trying to figure out what's going on and that American authorities consider the subject to be of tremendous significance. So for 25 years, I had had this document. It wasn't until Colin Andrews uh, made this lecture about consciousness that I suddenly realized there's a next line to the document. The very next line after Wilbur Smith reporting that flying saucers are real as being told to him by American officials he stated that American officials have also notified him that the other phenomena might be related to the flying saucers, such as mental phenomena. And this ties in exactly to what Colin Andrews was stating, was that the mental phenomena aspect of the UFO phenomena is extremely important. So this sort of explained why Wilbur Smith went into uh, contactee, trying to contact the aliens, 
and the fact that mental phenomena is very important. And it was very important because the document was written in November of 1950, and this is two years before the contactees of the 1950s would come forward and say that they had mental telepathy messages with aliens, they'd been talking to aliens, and it was 16 years before Betty and Barney Hill would come forward with their book talking about being abducted by aliens. So before anybody had ever talked about interaction, mental interaction, telepathy, talking to aliens, before any of that had happened, Wilbur Smith in a top secret memo to the Canadian government had already said that American officials had notified him that mental phenomena might be associated with saucers. So that was one of the things when Colin Andrews gave this lecture, this popped into my head like this makes sense now, what he was saying about the mental phenomena. The second event that uh, popped into my head as Colin was giving this lecture was we've just published a book called UFOs, Area 51 and the Government. And part of that book deals with our chasing around a guy by the name of Dr. Eric Walker. Dr. Eric Walker was a very prominent guy. He was 15 years president at Penn State University, Ivy League Engineering College in State College, Pennsylvania. He was chairman of the board of the Institute for Defense Analysis, which is a top military think tank in the United States. Uh, he was chairman of the board of the National Science Foundation. He had 14 honorary doctorate degrees. Incredible background on this guy. And during the interviews, he sort of couldn't hang up the phone, but he really didn't tell us. He, he wasn't talking. He was saying, I can't talk about this. I don't talk about the subject. And over eight years, people were able to squeeze little bits of information out of him, including the fact that there was a group known as MJ-12 that basically controlled the UFO phenomenon. It was established in 1947. And Walker said, I've known of them for 40 years. Leave it alone. There's nothing you can do about it. Go study something else. During that conversation, a researcher from Britain was asking him, what about MJ-12? Tell me, is it all Americans? Is there more than 12 people? And was pressing him on MJ-12 to answer these questions. And Walker really wasn't giving any answers. And then Walker cuts off the conversation. And as Colin Andrews is giving this lecture, this pops into my head. Walker stops the conversation. He says, look, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? And the guy from Britain gave some lame answer. I don't even remember what it was. Really didn't know what he was talking about. And Walker comes back and says, look, unless you stand up, understand about ESP and how it works, you will not be taken in, referring to MJ-12. Very few people understand it. So that had popped into my head. The third item that popped into my head, the, the, you have the 1950 Canadian government document. You have 1991, this interview with Dr. Eric Walker. The third event that happened was a very famous event that is talked about a lot in ufology, and that was a lecture that Ben Rich, who was, ran the Skunk Works program, had given to the alumni, the engineering alumni at UCLA. He's giving this lecture, and during the lecture, he sort of makes reference to the fact that we now have the technology to take ET home. He shows a slide, his last slide is of a flying saucer, and he says, we've discovered the mistake in the equation. We now have the technology to take ET home, it will take an act of God to get this thing out of Congress. It's in the black budget, and you're, you're never going to get this thing out. He ends the lecture, and he starts to leave the room. There's two researchers in the room. One guy's name is Keller. The other guy is Jan Hartson from California. They're both UFO researchers. They're uh, engineering alumni. They realize this is the opportunity of a lifetime, and they run after Ben Rich. Jan Hartson says to him, he says, Mr. Rich, what do you mean about equations? What do you mean about the mistake in the equation? What are you talking about? I'm interested in UFO propulsion. Can you tell me how do you, how are UFOs get here? How do they propel themselves? 
And Ben Rich turns around and exactly asked exactly the same question that Eric Walker had asked two years before. He said, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? And Jan Hartson says, that just means to me that everything in time and space is connected. And Ben Rich says, that's how it works. He walks off, gets in his car and drives away and never is ever interviewed or talks about UFOs again. So these particular things popped into my head and I suddenly realized that this is extremely significant as to how do the aliens get here, what's going on. And so once I got into it, once I had this sort of revelation and left the conference, I started looking at it and realized that a lot of people in the UFO community were much ahead of me, that I was actually sort of in kindergarten and starting to learn this. They didn't realize these high-level significant uh, statements that have been made and that was my interest was that I had contributed the fact that there was high-level people who were talking about this and then I started to look at other aspects and get into some of the things that that I looked at but it basically showed the fact that this is a real thing and the government knows it they know this connection between UFOs consciousness and what I, I, I describe and what the CIA describes as phenomenology you mentioned Ben Ridge private contractors. You also talk, you used to talk about uh, the, the Freedom of Information Act, FOIA. Isn't this the perfect way to hide the secret by giving the private contractors the technology so that the citizens of the United States can never find out the truth? Sure, that's, that's one of the ways you do it, is you move it to, to a, a company that's, that's not subject to the FOIA. The same as um, John Alexander talks about, or even yesterday um, Nick Pope was talking about, the fact that when you write up a document, you describe it completely different. You don't describe what you're actually talking about. If you're talking about remote viewing, you don't use the re remote viewing, so it doesn't show up in, in Google searches and stuff like that. And there's one particular case that sort of symbolizes how this works in, in terms of hiding this stuff. There's a story told about uh, John Alexander, who runs what was known back in the 1980s as the UFO Working Group. I was given information that basically identified this group as the Advanced Physics Theoretical Working Group. And I made this public in 2005. I showed part of a document that, that indicated that I had the information, that I wasn't just hearing this secondhand. And suddenly John Alexander came forward and said, yes, this is what it was called. And he identified the fact that the reason they called it this instead of a UFO working group is so that it wouldn't be picked up in FOIAs. So if you call it advanced physics, theoretical working group, then people will not relate it to UFOs. So there's a number of ways that they uh, are able to hide this stuff. But the contractors is very important because they aren't subject to FOIA and they are, uh, because it's such a competitive world, they are much more uh, reliable in terms of uh, keeping stuff proprietary to their, to their company. When it comes to government, and you've done a lot of research about presidents and, and, and government officials, where do you see, with, where do we see this closer going? Do you ever see a government official, we've heard rumors of Russia saying that uh, they want Obama to disclose. We've heard rumors about China. Where do you see this going? That's a big subject. I actually give a lecture on that. I, I believe there is a gradual uh, disclosure. I believe there is, um, and I think the CIA is basically responsible for this program, where they are actually leaking parts of what is called the core story. Um, Kit Green, who was a former um, CIA analyst, 
uh, has sort of described this process is to look at it as if you were stuck with the problem and you have to somehow get this thing out. And the way he's described it is you put it into sort of uh, whether it's movies or crazy stories and you sort of get people all sort of uh, hyped up about this, but with no real proof of what they have. And then when the story finally comes out, the story will be a lot less than all the rumors and the, the, the stories about, you know, aliens eating our kids and stuff like this. When people hear it, they go, well, what, it's just UFOs visiting or extraterrestrials visiting? What's the big deal? So there, there, I think there is a program, and I, I can cite a number of very specific examples that show that this program is going on. You mentioned the Russians, and I did work on this. Uh, uh, Dmitry Medvedev uh, did come public. This is a couple of months ago. It was a year-end interview that was done with the five top networks in the Soviet Union. And one of the network uh, top uh, reporters for REN TV in Russia, it's the top private network in, in the Soviet Union, uh, asked Medvedev a question about UFOs. And Medvedev makes this bizarre comment. He said, for the last time, as if he had talked to her about this before. He said, for the last time. And he mentions the fact that Russian people, Russian leaders are briefed on the subject about extraterrestrials being among us and all this sort of stuff. And this was picked up. It was put on the YouTube before it could be blocked. And this story circulated around. And I said, when I first saw the story, I said, this is uh, a story that I've waited my whole life to hear somebody say this. And a lot of people said, well, he's fooling around. And then some people said, well, he's telling the truth. And I said, that's not good enough. This is a story where somebody has actually come out who's a prime minister of, of, of Russia We've got to track this thing down. We've got to run this thing to ground. You can't just sort of assume that he's saying the truth or he's not saying the truth. What I did is I wrote a letter to in Russian to the uh, reporter uh, who had asked the question. And I said to her, uh, can you tell me, do you think he was telling the truth? Is there anything to this? And I also knew, based on the fact that Bruce Maccabee, who's a very prominent researcher in the United States, had reported when this first was released that he had been interviewed by exactly the same TV network for a UFO documentary. Now, REN had done a UFO documentary which was called Men in Black, and it was released before they asked the question. So when Medvedev says, if you want further information, he refers them to this. This and some, Most people confused it with the, the Hollywood movie called Men in Black, but he said Men in Black, and what I think he was referring to was the documentary that REN had done because they were the ones that asked him the question. He said, if you want more, you can reference this documentary. So the way it stands now is the reporter did not answer the question. There's nothing I can do really with that. But what I'm waiting for is, based on what Bruce McAbee had said, is that there's another documentary coming. So what I'm thinking is that they may have asked him that question to, for a setup for this new documentary that they had talked to once before about UFOs. He had said something, they asked him again, and this is going to appear in a new documentary. So let's see what happens. Let's see. I may write the reporter again, just remind her that I sent her a letter, see if I can get a response from her. As to the Chinese, there's an interesting story if you've ever talked to Scott Jones. Uh, Scott Jones uh, was uh, the aide to Senator Claiborne Pell. Cla Senator Claiborne Pell was very interested more in paranormal phenomena than UFOs. So Scott Jones had this interesting job where he was hired and basically he just went around the world and asked questions of the Russians, of uh, the Chinese, 
And basically, in those countries where you have sort of a totalitarian government or a communist government, it's basically everything is coming from one some one uh, source of government. Whereas here, you have three branches of government. And because he was with the, the, the Congress, the people in Russia and China thought that he was speaking on behalf of the American government. And Scott Jones told me, and I think he said it publicly, that he had a very hard time trying to convince the Russians and the Chinese that he really wasn't talking on behalf of the Canadian go the American government, that he was basically just working for a senator. And they always thought that this didn't make any sense. And he did ask the Chinese at one point, he said to them, why don't you disclose? And they said, why don't we disclose? Why don't the, the Americans disclose? If the Americans disclose, you can bet that we'll be a close second, which sort of indicated to me from what Scott Jones was sort of hinting at was that the rest of the government is sitting there waiting for the Americans to, to, to disclose. So this latest story, there was a latest story that came out of the Soviet Union that I'm really not sure was really legitimate. This is a story that Medvedev had sort of uh, put up uh, a challenge to Obama that if he didn't come forward with the UFO story, that the Russians would. I think the big problem with the disclosure, whether you're the Chinese or the, the Russians or the Americans, is that there's so much technology involved with this whole subject that everybody wants the, the military technology that's involved with the uh, propulsion system and now, as I explained, the, the consciousness thing. That if you take a look at the technologies involved in abductions or experiences, you can see that the ability to actually pacify somebody, to come at a distance and make somebody passive and then be able to enter their house without them knowing it, to be able to actually take them away from their house without them knowing it, to actually get into their mind, to give them instructions, to get them on your side. This kind of technology is unbelievable technology that any intelligence network in the world would love to have. So I think that's the basic sort of roadblock to disclosure. It's not that they don't want you to know that, that extraterrestrials are here or that this phenomena is real. It's just that they, they want to protect this technical stuff because if you assume that the, say, the American government knows 75% of the answer, if they make public their 75% and the Chinese, for example, happen to have the other 25%, the Chinese have it all and we don't have anything. And when it comes to, to weapons, it all comes down to what is called lead time. That if you've got a secret, which the American military has in terms of UFOs, if you have the secret and you play that it's not a secret, that this is stupidity, we don't know anything, even the secret is very important. The fact that you have a secret, if you release the fact even that you know about UFOs and that it's real, everybody in the world starts to work on it. What you want is the rest of the world to think that this is nonsense, it's crazy, and while you're working on the problem, the rest of the world is sort of saying, well, there's nothing to this, we won't work on this. The minute you say that there's a secret and it's for real, then everybody starts working on it. And as you look at wars today, it's even more apparent today, because most wars today will end in a day or a couple of days. It happens very fast. And if you have this technology that the, the American government has been working on, say since 1947, say for 65, 67, 68 years, if they finally develop it and say it takes 75 years to finally develop the whole technology, if you're on the other side and suddenly you get the secret weapon used against you that, that's been developed with UFO technology, you're going to go to your leader and you're going to say, okay, the war has started. We have, we have this technology we're up against and the, the leader's going to say, of course, go ahead 
and develop this technology. How long is it going to take? And then the person is going to say 75 years. You haven't got 75 years. You get days. And that's why lead time developing the weapon while your enemy doesn't know what's going on is so extremely important. And I think that's the key behind why you will not see disclosure and open disclosure. But I have openly maintained for a long time that there is a disclosure going on. They are giving us the key parts of the story. And I think it's the CIA that's doing it. So it's all leverage. For example, as you said, if you use technology to abduct people where you're paralyzed, if you, you could use, if you could use that in a war scenario, you wouldn't even have to drop a bomb. You, do, you just use that technology and that's it. You win in one day, as you said. So it's all about leverage. At the same time, you have the, the, the war machine, the private contractors. With this kind of technology, wouldn't, wouldn't this fracture the entire war machine since you wouldn't need soldiers, you wouldn't need the, all the equipment, the armament that we use in today's warfare? Yeah, well, that's that's the big problem that people always say, well, you know, if they have the technology, why do they have NASA? Well, NASA is a small cost to pay to keep it going. If you shut down NASA, you give away the secret that you don't need NASA anymore. You, you, you have to keep the rest of the show going, building weapons, because a lot of building weapons is just keeping people employed. And it comes down to congressmen and senators who will not allow you, I mean, they're still building tanks, which are like totally obsolete. I mean, you saw with the uh, Iraqi war that everybody said, well, the Iraqis have all these troops and they have all these tanks and stuff. And it was just like a shooting gallery. I mean, if you don't control the airspace, they went in and just was like a target practice who can knock off the most tanks in one day. The tanks couldn't do anything. So a lot of the technology, I think they absolutely know that a lot of the technology we have is obsolete and will get us nowhere. But if you shut that technology down, you're going to go up against Congress, who is employing people. So you keep this war machine going, which keeps people employed, which keeps people happy, which keeps people elected to government. And the secret works in the background and it has to be kept a secret so that when you finally use it, it will still be a secret. Status quo. Keep yeah. status quo. And, and you'll, you'll get situations, for example, I always bring up John Alexander, who says he's talked to people in government. And there is no secret. The government doesn't know, doesn't care. And I brought this up in the, in the, in the, the example I brought yesterday with, with the phenomenology, that if people would say that this phenomenology stuff, that this parapsychology, this mind control stuff, if this isn't important, this, this is totally irrational. The idea that this is not important, that we should just give Al-Qaeda the technology to get into people's minds I mean, it, there's no way that the that they're not working on this. This all you take takes just the simplest look to look at the the amount of material. And I described this this uh, emotive uh, unit, this unit that you can buy on the street, costs two hundred ninety nine dollars. It's a unit that you put on your head, and you can actually play little mind games with your computer, and you can rotate a ball, and you can you know swing a sword, and, and do all this kind of stuff. And this was developed in the white world. And that if they have this, you can imagine what they've got in the black world, that you can do this. And th there was a bunch of researchers from Europe and from uh, University of California, Berkeley, who had done research on this white world technology that showed quite clearly by flashing images on a screen. The people would just put this thing on their head and they would just flash images, numbers and stuff on the screen. And that using this, just this simple white world technology, you can buy for $299 on the street, they could actually... 30% of the time on the first try, pick off your PIN code number from your credit card. So this kind of stuff 
is, is just dramatic. To understand the, the importance of mind technology and this sort of stuff, there is absolutely no way the government is not working on this. And I just think that, that it's, it's called phenomenology and that across the board you have, whether it's UFOs, whether it's uh, remote viewing, whether it's uh, ESP, uh, PK, all these different bizarre uh, non-local phenomena, I'm quite sure that they understand the importance of this and that they're working very fast to try to develop this stuff and understand it and use it where they can for weapons and possibly if, if you have sort of a paranoid military that's briefing them possibly to defend yourself against the aliens because in a military environment the, you're always going to get people who believe that uh, some people are going to believe the aliens are 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 here for our good but of course in the military mind you're always going to say that if the aliens aren't disclosing what they're doing they must be up to to no good so you're going to get a big element of the u.s military that believes that there could be some danger and they will throw around the, the word national security and so they want they want to develop the, the weapons that they might use against uh whoever these uh extraterrestrial forces are or whoever's flying the ufos with all due respect to Dr. Colonel John Alexander, when he issues a statement stating the government doesn't know, that there is no secret to people, to some people, to most people, that would sound as an absurd statement. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would, it, the question I would ask uh, Colonel Alexander is, he makes this claim that he's talked to all the high-level people, and there's no doubt that he's talked to more high-level people, heads of uh, the alphabet agencies and stuff like this. The question I would have is if they had told him, if they had said, okay, John, you're right, this is for real, we have to read you in, here's the thing. Would The question to John Alexander was, if someone had told you, and if you had been read in on this program, would you compromise your national security oath and come public and violate your national security oath and tell me about it. And of course he would. So why would he expect anybody else's? That's Stanton Friedman's basic argument is, John, you don't have a need to know. No matter how important you think you are, you don't have a need to know and these people aren't going to tell you. What the strange thing was is he said he went to all these various people and that nobody, everybody said, no, don't know anything. I am a Canadian. I have no security clearance. I have no high-level contacts in the American government. I've had only two incidents where I actually went after high-level American officials. One was the famous Dick Cheney story, where I got him on a radio talk show in Washington, D.C., and Dick Cheney, I asked him the question, the briefing question, which I say people should ask if they get a high-level official, whether it's a president, vice president, a four-star general with a unified command, or something to that effect. He had been chief of staff for President Ford. He had been Secretary of Defense under Bush Sr., and he was now vice president. This was in April of 2001. I asked him the briefing question. I said, Mr. Cheney, in all your jobs in government, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? If so, when was it, and what were you told? In other words, I asked him, did anybody ever come in your office and give you the official story, tell you the truth? And he said, if I had been briefed on that subject, it would probably be classified and I wouldn't be talking about it, which is ironic because 
Colonel Alexander says he's talked to piles of people and nobody knew anything. I talked to one guy and he basically says if I had been briefed on a subject, it would probably be classified. He basically confirms to me in the one shot that I've got. And the second shot we had was in 2004, four-star general with the Unified Command, Wesley Clark, goes on the campaign trail. He's running against uh, against uh, uh, all the, the Democrats. And at one point, he's the head. And he ends up losing to Kerry. He pulls out. But in New Hampshire at the beginning, you have all these open sessions where they have, uh, you know, uh, questions. They take questions and stuff like that. He's in New Hampshire. And he's asked by Jay Buckley, who was a, a space shuttle astronaut. He said, what's your vision of space? And so Wesley Clark starts and says, oh, I wanted to be an astronaut. And I'm very interested in space. And I believe we can go past the speed of light. I believe, I've argued with physicists, I believe we can do it. And I'm listening to this, I'm going, this guy's a four-star general, the Unified Command, does he know what's going on? I get an email from somebody who was connected to this group called the Avery, and the, the, the message to me simply says, one of the birds says, Clark's been briefed on crash flying saucers. So I put out an alert to all the people that I know in the United States, all the researchers, and I say, Wesley Clark is running around the country and he's saying we can go past the speed of light. We have, somebody has to ask him the briefing question. A lot of researchers, I had two particular researchers who told me, I don't want to ask him the question. I don't want to embarrass him. To which my answer was, well, if we're not going to ask the UFO question, why would you expect the media to go out and ask the stupid question? This is our job to ask this question. Finally, two days before the end of the campaign, Dr. David Rudiak, who's, uh, works outside of Berkeley, uh, meets him at Reno, Nevada. He had uh, first turned me down to ask the question when he was in California, when Clark was there. He runs into uh, Clark giving a lecture at Reno and figures, I'm going to ask him the question. The, the interview ends. This is two days before the election. Clark is actually heading to New Mexico. He's campaigning for Kerry. So David Rudiak asked the question, General, you talked about the fact that you believe we could go past the speed of light. I want to ask you, were you ever briefed on the subject of UFOs? And General Wesley Clark says, I know some. In fact, I'm going to Roswell tonight. Rudiak came back and he said to him, he said, he didn't fall for the sort of walking around the question. He said, so you were briefed. And Clark says to him, I think we have to work on our mathematics, on our higher mathematics. So only two occasions in my career have I ever been able to actually get a question to a high-level guy. And on both occasions, they basically confirm the fact there's something to this, which is completely opposite to John Alexander, who says that he asked piles of people and everybody said there's nothing to it. When the President of the United States has so many security levels above him, how do we expect that he or she in the future, if we have a female president, how would we know that they are aware of this? Well, I've always said I can give a, a one-hour lecture that will tell you the president doesn't know what's going on and give you a one-hour lecture that the president does know what's going on. I still think constitutionally there's enough patriotic Americans in the United States that if the president wasn't in the loop, there would be mass defections. When I go to presidential libraries, a lot of times there's no UFO documents and I basically spend my time reading documents on other subjects. Like, interesting, I'll see a file on Kissinger and I'll read Kissinger, you know, talking about different subjects to different people. What I came away with the impression dealing with these documents that the, 
99.9% of people in the American government are patriotic Americans who follow the rules and there's a lot of rules in government and they basically are doing what they believe is the right thing for their children and their grandchildren. And so I think that if the president wasn't in the loop, if they really actually knew that he was cut out of the loop on this subject, that there was a sort of a, a cabal or a, a secret government running the show, I think there would be defections. I still think that the president is in the loop, that he's just kept away from it purposely and told, if we need to talk to you about this, we'll talk to you about this. You don't need to know. What a lot of people don't sort of realize is that when the president comes in, usually it's a state governor, and usually they know nothing about anything. They don't know anything about intelligence. They don't know anything about foreign policy. And basically, the president has to rely on people in his administration to tell him what's going on. And they have thousands of different issues. Even if you take the Secretary of Defense, who might be in charge of the UFO issue, the Secretary of Defense has probably 200 plates. He's flipping these plates up in the air. And only the two top items, he may have 15 minutes with the president, 20 minutes with the president on a weekly basis or whatever. He's only going to take the two top issues. And very rarely is the UFO thing going to be one of the two top issues. So there's so many issues that I think that the president basically knows there's something going on and they say if there's a ufo question if something happens we'll sit you down the same as they do with every other subject that he has that when a subject comes up that he's not aware of or that he's that he's not familiar with they will give him a briefing they will say okay we expect a question at tomorrow's news conference here's what's going to happen here's how the story works and presidents very rarely leak secrets if the president doesn't does know He's never leaked the secret on anything else. You never see a president stand up. Oh yeah, by the way, you know that leader that got killed in the other country? That was us that did it. The president will never, will never talk. I've gotten indications from various presidents that they don't know, but I've gotten president indications, for example, from Barack Obama that he does know. He made two statements that tended to indicate he has been read in. He's sort of been indicated that he's sort of interested in, you know, sci-fi movies and he's this kind of stuff. There's two indications. The one was when uh, Will Smith went to the White House. Will Smith tells the story that, that Jaden, his son, was determined that he was going to ask the president about the aliens. His son is into conspiracies, in, into all this sort of stuff. And Will said, no, you're not going to ask the question. You're not going to ask Obama. Forget it. I don't want you asking. I don't want you to embarrass me with this, with this question. And he said, no, Dad, no. You know, he said, nope. They get in. They this off. is in front of the president. This is in front of the president. So they're doing the tour of the, of the White House. And they go into the Situation Room, and the Situation Room, people have seen the the picture where they where they killed Bin Laden, and they're all sitting in the Situation Room. This is the heart of the the secrecy inside the White House. This is the Situation Room. So they're in the Situation Room, and Jaden looks over at his father, and he says, "Dad, what was my what was my punishment again?" And Will Smith is sort of freaking out, like, "No, no, don't ask him the question." And he looks over, and Jaden looks over at the president. And he says, "Mr. President, I'd like to ask you a question." To which Obama cuts him off. He says, "I know what you want." You want to ask about the aliens. And Jaden says, yeah, yeah. And he says, I can neither confirm nor deny. And that's the word that's used when it, when a person has been briefed. I can neither confirm nor deny that extraterrestrials are visiting the earth. But if there had been a top secret meeting, and if it had been held, it would have been held right in this very room. And Jaden's all excited. And, you know, there you go, Dad. He, he confirmed it. That's one. Now, it's sort of an indirect confirmation. But the other one came... When the election takes place, every time there's an election, everybody heads for New Mexico. 
because New Mexico is always considered to be a swing state. It has five or six electoral votes, and everybody, sometimes it goes Republican, sometimes it goes Democrat, so everybody spends time going there, whereas Alabama, nobody ever goes to Alabama, nobody goes to Mississippi, because a lot of these states are, everybody so, knows who they're going to vote for. But a swing state, New Mexico is a swing state, so everybody ends up. Last year, just before the election, Obama ends up in New Mexico, and he goes to Roswell. When you go to Roswell, it doesn't matter whether you're Bush or whether you're Clinton, you always have to make a, a UFO joke because this is the center of the UFO world. So Obama comes and, of course, he opens with the UFO joke. And he says, the question that's asked to me most while I'm president by little 9 and 10-year-old kids is, Mr. President, what about Roswell? Have you been there? Is it true? And then Obama says, I look at the little kids and I tell them, if I were to tell you the, the truth, I'd have to kill you. And he says, the kids get all excited and their eyes get all big and they're all scared. And then everybody laughs. This is his opening joke for his Roswell speech. And he pauses. And I've seen enough presidential speeches that I'm pretty sure the very next line was not written into the speech. He pauses. And before he starts the speech, he says, we'll keep our secrets on this. And then he pauses again. Then he starts the speech which indicated to me that he knows he's he's gotten some sort of briefing and it's probably sort of a, a limited briefing to give him plausible deniability. But the president has to be in charge of this whole show. And if he's not in charge, then I think there's a lot of trouble because you can if you can cover up the UFO subject, then you can cover up financial issues. You can cover up all sorts of issues. And basically, if you have a way of avoiding the government, the people who are running that show will basically take over the government. So I don't think that patriotic Americans at the top of the American government would allow that to take place. <clears throat> and there's another issue on, on this whole thing. When I say there's a, a limited disclosure, I refer to a number of incidents, and the one I, just, I, I refer to is a documentary that occurred in October of 1988. I've done a lot of research in the last six months on this. I already knew that, that there was something weird about this documentary. I will now state absolutely, without reservation, that this was an absolute CIA operation to release information. In that documentary, one of the things they showed was a flowchart, and the flowchart showed the cover-up, and it showed... Uh, the whole issue of how it worked, uh, it showed different things that were at that point classified. For example, it showed the DIA running a parapsychology research unit. This is 1988. That unit was the remote viewing unit that was run by the DIA, which was taken over by the CIA and was not declassified till 1995. If you see the flowchart that they used on this UFO cover-up live, it shows this remote unit at the DIA seven years before it was ever declassified. The other thing that it shows on there that was still classified was the whole Area 51 thing. In this new book that I do, I do a, a, a story on Area 51, which George Knapp has said is the best version of Area 51 there is, the most accurate version of what actually happened and what it might mean. In this 1988 documentary, they show Area 51 as one of the, 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 the elements of the flowchart in the UFO cover-up. The significant part of that is this is October 1988. Bob Lazar would not even go on to the, the Area 51 site until December. December, and he wouldn't go public on camera with KLS TV in Nevada till March of 1989. So six months before he ever went anywhere and the story became public, now everybody knows. At that time, nobody knew that there was UFOs or back engineering rumors at, at Area 51. That was on the flowchart in 1988. 
But on this flowchart, it shows the president at the top of the flowchart. President's on top, under is MJ-12, and then it goes to all these different DIA and uh, this DC-5 unit and all these different units that, that sort of handle uh, the UFO cover-up and how it's separated, who does disinformation, who collects intelligence and stuff like that. So I think that the president, no matter what people say, for example, Bill Clinton was asked by um, senior White House reporter Sarah McClendon, when Stephen Greer was pushing the disclosure witnesses, Sarah McClendon got very interested in this whole disclosure thing and Stephen Greer. And she went to the president and she said, Mr. President, she's talking to Bill Clinton. Why don't you do something about what these UFO people are talking about? Why don't, why don't, why don't you help them? And, and according to Sarah McClendon, and unfortunately, when I wanted to interview her, I was talked out saying that she was very sick and I, I shouldn't. But I wanted to confirm this. I never got to hear this from her 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 mouth but Stephen Greer talks about this all the time that he that she told him the president leaned over to this question about why don't you do something about UFOs and said Sarah there's a government inside the government and I don't control it and Bill and Hillary did talk about this quite often about the right-wing conspiracy that was trying to get him out that this was behind the Monica Lewinsky thing and that they were trying to get rid of him so Bill will talk often about the fact for example, in 2005 in Hong Kong, he was asked a question about uh, by the guy that was running. It was an investment uh, speech. And at the end, there was questions. And the guy that had hosted him there said, well, because I'm running the thing or because of my position, I can ask you this question. And he said to Bill Clinton, he said, well, uh, Mr. President, when a president moves from one president to another, is there a list of secrets that's passed from one president to another? For example, where's Jimmy Hoffa's body buried or what happened at Roswell? And Clinton leans back and he starts to laugh and he says, you know, that was that, this was taken seriously in my administration. Nobody believed that Roswell was a crashed alien uh, saucer. We didn't believe that, but a lot of people in my administration believed that there was a base in Nevada, and he's talking about Area 51, where they had a craft underground and where they had an alien. And I actually sent someone to the base to figure, to, to find this out. And he said, I was, I, I was unable to, I didn't believe that Roswell was real and I was unable to get anything on it. I'm probably not the first president they kept in the dark or that bureaucrats have tried to wait out. So from those statements, a lot of people have got indication that the president is sort of cut out of the loop. But Bill talked a lot of conspiracy stuff when he was in the government that he really didn't believe a lot of stuff that was going in the government. And one of the famous stories that has been repeated numerous times, which we've almost confirmed a number of times, was a story that when he came in, he had run around and he was asking various people in various administrations, for example, he would call in an admiral and he'd say, well, what about UFOs? And, the, and of course, the admiral really hadn't been read in. So he was like figuring like, what is this wacko guy like? I mean, uh, you know, asking me about this for and he would ask everybody. And so one of the stories that was made public in 1997, Webster Hubble came forward. Webster Hubble was a friend of Hillary Clinton. She had he had worked as a lawyer at the Rose Law Firm in Little Rock, Arkansas with Hillary. So a lot of the Little Rock people came with Bill to the White House and he Hubble was given a job as assistant attorney general. And according to Hubble, in this 1997 book that he released after he left the White House, he put in the book that when he was called in by Bill Clinton, Bill said, if I put you over there in justice, I want you to get the question to uh, the answer to two questions. One, who killed JFK? And two, are there UFOs? So Hubble talks about the fact that he went out and he tried to get this stuff and he ran up against a bunch of roadblocks, really didn't get anything. 
So when I FOI'd, it's kind of funny because when I FOI'd uh, all the Clinton stuff, when, when their files became public at the Clinton Library, I FOI'd the, the whole thing about UFOs and I got probably 2,000 pages of material. The other thing I FOI'd was JFK because the, the question that he had put to Hubble indicated that he did not believe the official Blue Book report that there was nothing to UFOs. That's why he asked him to go out and get it. And he also was conspiratorial about the JFK assassination. Clinton believed he was the second coming of JFK. He was very proud of this letter or this picture that he had taken when he was about 17 years old. He was in Washington and he was shaking hands with the president. He told his mother, I'm going to get a picture shaking hands with the president. And his mother was very close to him. He showed the picture to his mother and he became very famous for having been 17 years old. And he always saw himself as a second Kennedy. So he could run around with women like Kennedy could. He could do all this kind of stuff. He saw himself as another as another Kennedy. So he didn't believe the Kennedy story, and that's why he told Webster Hubble to go out and find out who killed JFK. So when I FOIA'd the, the, the UFO stuff, I also FOIA'd in the, in the Clinton administration, I asked for all documents dealing with the assassination of President Kennedy. And it's been released. I haven't seen it yet. I will probably go there in May to look at these documents. There's 7,600 pages of documents on the Kennedy assassination in the Clinton White House. And I don't know if anybody's looked at them. They have released them. They have they have gone through. It took years to do, the, do this document. Uh, and we'll see if there's anything significant in it. But uh, Clinton believed in a lot of conspiracies. He didn't believe a lot of stuff in the government, which indicated that maybe he was out of the loop. But uh, there's a number of things that sort of indicate the president has to, he may have limited knowledge, but the president has to basically sort of know, because there's a lot of money, there's a lot of people signing off on stuff. Uh, if the CIA is involved, that's his chief intelligence organization other than the National Intelligence Office. But he, th these people all work for the president. And I can't see if, if it's intelligence, they report to him. If it's government, he's the chief executive officer of the government. If it's military, he's the, the commander in chief of the military. Whatever branch you say is covering this thing up. Uh, other than military contractors, the president is basically the the person they have to reply to, and I think the president does know. Now, this is an area of expertise for you. You're pretty much known worldwide for having done your research about presidents. Going back to 1947, uh, with with Truman in power, do you think that Roswell, or was it perhaps 1952, the sighting in Washington D.C.? Do you think was it Truman? the one that put the seal on the UFO secrecy, the flying saucers back then? Um, I think that they knew before Truman, but Truman was the first one that had to deal with it in public. Before the Roswell incident and the uh, Arnold sighting and stuff like that, that's when it really became public and it became sort of a, a PR issue where the president had to address it. And I've looked very carefully at the uh, Truman files. I've looked at the, the meetings, the phone calls, and there is some indications that the president um, did know. Doc, uh, Dr. David Rudiak has done probably the best amount of research. If you go to his website, I think it's called Roswell Truth, um, he details meetings that occurred at the Research and Development Board, which is the unit that the Canadian government was talking to in the in the um, early days of the UFO cover-up. I believe it was the Research and Development Board that basically controlled the UFO story. And David Rudiak talks about high-level meetings with uh, Vandenberg and uh, uh, various high-level generals and military people that were called out of meetings and missed meetings to go to this one meeting that took place 
the morning uh, uh, around when the when the press release came out of Roswell. But in terms of the, I think already then the government knew to keep stuff off the record. For example, a lot of the Truman uh, diary stuff, if you look at it, uh, there's days where only a couple of meetings are recorded and the rest of the day it doesn't show. If you look at the diary of the president now, it shows minute by minute exactly where the president was, what he's doing. One of the most spectacular things that I found in terms of Truman running this whole show was that when I talked to the Roswell people, uh, Tom Carey and Don Schmidt, they had released two very good Roswell books. In the second one, they made reference to the fact that a number of witnesses were saying that they were sworn to secrecy by the President of the United States and they wouldn't talk. And uh, one was sort of the head of security at the crash site. So I wrote them and I said, well, I've checked the records. I, I've been to the Truman Library a number of times. I've never seen anything that showed that the President was in Roswell or even in New Mexico. So I said, were, what, did, were they brought to the White House? What happened? And he said, no, well, actually the story was that they said that there was a Secret Service agent that was working for the president who was in Roswell, who was swearing people to secrecy. And I said, okay, give me their names and I will check the, the records. They gave me the names. The one is still sort of up in the air. I've gotten sort of uh, indirect confirmation of some people that seem to claim they're related to this guy. I couldn't find his name in the record. But the other name they gave me was a guy by the name of Gerald McCann. And he was in Roswell, according to the Roswell witnesses, swearing people to secrecy on behalf of the president of the United States. I checked the record. It's spelled with two N's on the end of the name, Gerald McCann. I checked and absolutely, he was a Secret Service agent for the President of the United States. And there was not as many as there was now. Now there's a lot of them. There was only, I don't know, maybe 25 Secret Service agents and he was one of them. So when you get a story like that where you get witnesses telling, uh, identifying a Secret Service agent by name and then you go check the record 65 years later and find out that this name checks with the official record, it gives you an, uh, an indication that yes, the President was on the was in the loop on this thing. And there are a number of interesting, we've, we've even recovered now a video, even though Truman was very sort of negative in public about UFOs. Uh, for example, James Mosley talked to him about it and he said, you know, I've never seen a blue cow and I don't hope to see one here. And he made all sorts of real derogatory references to UFOs. There's now been a, a tape and we don't know where the tape comes from, but it's a videotape of a sort of a, a news conference where Truman is asked about UFOs and he says, yes, we discussed this subject numerous times with high Pentagon officials. And it's quite clear on tape that Truman is saying this, that yes, this was discussed, it was commonly discussed with the military. So uh, that seems to indicate, even though you go to the Truman Library, you will not find any real records of uh, UFOs, the president dealing with it, except for the 1952 incident where there was the flyover. Those are about the only records in the Truman Library where you will see um, records of people sending telegrams to the to the president because there was two incidents over Washington. I think one was on the 19th, one was on the 26th of July, 1952. And on the first night, uh, these things were flying around. And then the, the number of papers all across America put out a report and where they got it from, we don't know, but it seems to have come somewhere from the White House that there was a shoot down order. And so a lot of people wrote telegrams to the president saying don't shoot them down don't uh do this do this and uh, those records appear all these telegrams asking the president not to shoot down the ufos in 52 come out which leads to an interesting story of of a reporter back at that time 
Uh, his name was Frank Edwards. He sort of had the coast-to-coast of the 1950s. He had 10 million listeners. I uh, was a very prominent guy. And in 1952, uh, he covered the story of the overflight in Washington. And in a lecture, I believe it was 1956 in, in uh, Detroit, he talks about the shootdown. And he said that he knows that Einstein, uh, the famous uh, physicist, had talked to Truman about this and that he claimed that Einstein was one of the people that had demanded of of the president not to shoot down the UFOs. And according to Frank Edwards in this in this uh, lecture that he gave, uh, he had said to the president, if they've found their way all the way here, they will know exactly what to do when they get here. Don't start a battle that you can't finish. And he said for the first time, Give him hell, Harry decided maybe it would be better not to give him any hell. We have three minutes left for this segment. I want you to tell us the name of your new book. Also, when we come back, we always hear the term shoot him down. At the same time, during your presentation yesterday, you mentioned that the Canadian government had built this facility in which they said, instead of shooting them down, why don't we let them land and I want you to discuss that when we come back but tell us the name of your book and how can people get it okay uh, the name of the book is UFOs Area 51 and the government it's a redo of a book that we did in 1991 at the time it was called UFOs MJ 12 and the government uh, my, my website is presidentialufo.com if you go to my website you can link there's a number of links to get an autograph book or uh, a Kindle book or uh, or you can just go to Amazon.com. You can get the, the Kindle and the regular version through Amazon.com. Uh, it's a book that basically talks about the Canadian government cover-up, the Dr. Eric Walker story, and it talks about this gradual disclosure by the CIA that I believe is going on. So that's the uh, the book. And what was your other question? Uh, no, no, no. Basically, oh, how people yeah. can uh, get your, your new book. And, and, and uh, what are you trying to accomplish with this book? Well, the book is basically talks about, it's mostly about the cover-up. It's the, it's the story of my research, which went from sightings in 1975 to what the Canadian government did in, in four years, the official Canadian government investigation. I talk about that. I talk about all the contacts they had with aliens. Then it goes to the U.S. military and how one of the people in the Pentagon squeals on uh, uh, Dr. Eric Walker, very prominent guy in the United States, and he leads us to the CIA, he leads us to uh, the Pentagon, and I go through the whole story of what he told us, and then I go into the whole story about uh, this gradual disclosure of uh, Area 51, of uh, the idea about the core story that aliens are here, that Roswell's real, and we cover all that sort of material as to uh, the aspects of the cover-up and exactly what I think is going on in terms of what are they covering up, who's behind the cover-up, and how much do they actually know. And when we come back, folks, we're going to discuss so much more. I remember yesterday you mentioned uh, <coughs> Dr. Henry Kissinger. Apparently there was a, a gathering, of, I believe it was Uri Geller or somebody else, and somebody could actually read minds, and Kissinger said, no, 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 please, please don't read my mind because I have too many secrets when we come back. Folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with my friend Grant Cameron, and we'll be right back. We're here at the 2013 International UFO Congress in Arizona. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. 
We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment two in the member section. Enjoy.
This is Timothy Good, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.